You're listening to Fit Pro Sessions with Parallel Coaching, episode number 14. Hi, I'm Neil Bergman, and in today's podcast, I'm talking to Kyle Simpson from KS Sports Therapy, all about sports therapy, injury, and tackling pain with clients. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Neil Bergman. And I'm Hayley Bergman. Over the last 10 years, we've helped thousands of fitness professionals to get qualified, learn with simplicity, and coach clients with confidence. We're the first to say that learning and being a fit pro doesn't have to be hard work and that with the right structure, support and resources, you can become a confident and knowledgeable fitness professional that is dedicated to more. So how do you learn, qualify and kickstart as a fit pro? This is the Fit Pro Sessions podcast with Parallel Coaching. (laughs) Good morning, San Diego. (laughs) I think it best start with a, uh, a Ron Burgundy quote. Good morning, Kyle. How are we doing? Morning, mate. Very well. How are you? Fantastic. Yeah, very well. A huge welcome to FitPro Sessions, episode number 13, I believe. And obviously, you're on. We're talking all about sports therapy today and understanding uh, injury, understanding more about uh, what you do and how you help people get fighting fit. Um, So I want to kind of throw it straight over to you. Uh, Tell us more about who Kyle Simpson is and KS Sports Therapy. That's it. That's a big question, mate. Uh, <laughs> um, so I started uh, KS Sports Therapy about four and a half years ago now. Yeah. Um, and ever since, just been, I worked out of uh, Plymouth Performance Gym. Uh, they moved, I moved with them. And now I'm in uh, my own sort of new clinic, uh, which I've been in for about a year now. And we tend to be quite busy, which is obviously, which obviously you can tell because it took us a while to schedule this actually podcast. Yeah, completely. Um, that's a good yeah, thing. Right? Yeah. It's good to be busy. Oh, definitely, mate. Yeah, it's better than uh. Well, it puts food on the table, and I like to eat, so it's a good thing, isn't it? <laughs> it's a good way. Look, I like to eat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, from a from a sports uh, therapy perspective, um, what made you get into sports therapy in the first place? How long have you been doing it? Uh, so I've been doing it uh with uni, and obviously having my own practice and stuff, and working in other places about seven and a half years now. Uh, the way I got into it was um, when I was a kid, I wanted to become the heavyweight boxing champ of the world. Realised that wasn't going to happen. Uh, started <laughs> studying law at A-level, um, which, you know, I, was, I kind of enjoyed, but I, it wasn't really me. Yeah. So I remember being at a university fair, um, panicking when I realised I didn't want to actually do law. So I kind of, I saw the Marjon um, banner there, or the stand thought right I'm sporty and that's uh, in Plymouth so I just applied for everything I could um when I got my UCAS results back I started out to actually look at thinking hmm do I want to be like a strength conditioner um a sports therapist an outdoor ed person um and I kind of was just thinking right I'm getting injured all the time in boxing I may as well at least be able to fix myself so I kind of just picked um sports therapy on a bit of a whim to be honest but luckily after about two three months I really really started to enjoy the course I like loved the impact it could have on people yeah and I just really enjoyed the content I was learning so from there I kind of just thought right sort of uh what's the phrase all all guns ahead <laughs> you know going like all, that all, all, all guns ahead completely yes yeah. so you jumped straight into sports therapy uh, so seven and a half years of sports therapy I'm guessing your anatomy and physiology is is pretty good <laughs> well yeah no I know what I need to know mate yeah <laughs> 
probably a don't worry i've not got a list a, a list of questions here around you know what is the origin of this muscle or the insertion of that well mate i, I mean i've got my two. books and i've got my uh, posters so i can always cheat if i need to fantastic <laughs> truth be said it's behind me as well just to just to double yeah. check <laughs> <laughs> <No idea. laughs> cool man cool so you 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 went ahead you got your uh sport and exercise uh rehab degree uh you've yeah. been in business for a number of years based down in Plymouth um what was it like going through those qualifications as you know a number of our our parallel learners they go through the level two level three um fitness instructor personal trainer pilates yoga and whatnot and they have to learn obviously there's, there's a number of modules but the, the main one most people get stuck on is is muscles origins and insertions and locations and understanding yeah. of the muscle structure what was it like for you you know coming from uh an a-level perspective studying law not really knowing kind of where you're heading and all of a sudden you're jumping into this minefield of information latin words left right and center how what was it like uh at first it was a little bit overawing um i remember the only word i actually knew was posterior and biceps so (laughs) uh um so yeah that was pretty much it uh but with with all of my studies and stuff like that i've always just been very um bit of a nerd basically i've just always put my all into it um and with sports therapy it wasn't much different i actually really enjoyed learning anatomy because there was no there was no if buts or maybes it was just like this is the muscle this is where it originates this is where it inserts this is what it does and then that was it i'm with Um, you on that it's black and white isn't it you know there's no gray areas the muscle originates here and it inserts here it does this movement it can't do anything else and i think once you get your head around that black and white concept it's just that for, for me it was a systematic approach and just yeah. learn the muscles up through the body well yeah and that's the thing the body's basically a machine anyway um so you just learn it like that and i remember one of my um lecturers always said to me uh once you know anatomy you just know it <laughs> and that's pretty much the case um so anyone like listening who is studying it takes a bit of a while to learn. It is a bit of a pain, um, but it's just got, you know, such an all-encompassing benefit. Firstly, if you're obviously treating people with sports therapy, you know what to work on. Um, and then when you're coaching people as well, you know what muscles to target and you know what actions or exercises are going to target those muscles. And that, that's key. You know, something that we're constantly barking on about and shouting pretty loud about a parallel is the importance of knowing your anatomy and physiology outside of the exam and the impact that has on if i if i understand muscles of where they start where they finish and where they pull from and what what joints they cross and what um, action is brought about at that joint i can now plan an appropriate exercise based on the client's goal yeah exactly and you tend to find that um, obviously you do have some exercises say like a bicep curl which is meant to be like an isolate exercise as opposed to a compound uh, however no exercise is really an isolate exercise because your whole no one muscle works on its own it has uh, a lot of other muscles working with it yeah. um, whether that's just to stabilize the core to stabilize a limb or to obviously aid in the, the actual movement you're looking at so say like, some... um sorry go on no no go for it go for it yeah i was going to say like even with like a bicep curl i say that because that's obviously a favorite of mine um <laughs> Even when you're doing a bicep curl, your trunk is working, your legs are working just to keep you rooted to the ground. Um, and obviously, you've got your flexor forearm muscles working to actually grip and to aid elbow flexion as well. And I suppose so, from a jumping in from a sports therapy perspective, if somebody comes in with, a, let's say, an injury or a niggle um, lower body, let's say around the hips, that's obviously going to impact the core, which is going to impact 
but bicep curl. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. In turn, it, it could do. So just because someone's potentially injured lower body and a typical um, response for a fitness professional would be, well, I, I can still train you. I can still train upper body, but that could impact the injury as well. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah exa- exactly. Um, so you hit on a few good things there. Firstly, like if someone gets injured, we just recently put a post up about this. Um, being injured doesn't mean you have to stop um, exercise altogether. You can adapt. You can um, work the muscle in a different way. You can work the joint in a different way. Um, for example, if you're doing regular bicep curls and you've got a bit of a pain there, try like doing hammer curls or something like that instead because um, you're going to work more of your forearm muscles. Um, and also if, uh, if an area is injured and then you're working another area, you need to be careful not to overwork it because obviously then you don't have two injured areas as opposed to just the one. Cool, cool, cool. Let's segue back towards your, um, your, your qualifications in sports therapy, your degree. What was the biggest takeaway you got from a course other than the bit of paper to say, I'm now qualified, Carl Simpson's qualified. Um, uh, what, what was the other big takeaways? Or, Well, um, for, for one, so I went to Marjon and they are brilliant with the placements they get you. Yeah. Um, so I did a lot of placements and obviously it's all very well and good um, learning from books and stuff and various resources but that hands-on experience that it taught me was like crucial and it you know a lot of the stuff I learned I felt like I learned more uh in practice than actually in theory um one of the best uh placements I got was at Plymouth Argyle which turned into a oh, job wow. that I did for a while there as well um and I, you know I just learned so much on the job doing that as well what are your thoughts then um this is a, a completely off the cuff question now just based on it's not on my notes behind me <clears throat> What's your thoughts then on uh, these online courses for sports therapy and personal trainer courses that you see that have no attendance, that have no contact, that have no um, hands-on experience? What's your, what's your opinion on those? So firstly, I'd say any information that's accurate is good, um, but you need, I mean, you need accountability. You need people um, there to answer questions for you. Uh, so while these courses are good, you still obviously need you know, people such as yourself and Haley to uh, bounce ideas off of bounce questions off of and really go to go to with all your concerns so then obviously you can you you've got that hands-on experience you can actually apply what you've just learned. yeah and in, sorry in terms of a practical aspect yeah. as well yeah you um you you would obviously absolutely placement um hours and stuff because it's all very it's all very well and good uh learning something off of a computer but it's completely different when you're actually in when you're you know dealing with another person yeah, completely. In a, in a therapy room or in a gym and I actually got hands exactly, on thinking, yeah. shit, how do I put this together? I've learned yeah. about it, but there's, there's no uh, per- personal skills there to, to bring it to reality, if that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like, um, I mean, I don't know about yourself, but obviously you hear of these horror stories where um, people will just stick to a plan and no matter how their client adapts to it, they just stick to the same plan, whether it's for better or for worse. Um, and that would be something that could be avoided if, uh, you know, they've got that hands-on experience through like placement or, um, you know, volunteering opportunities. Completely. I love it. I love it. On, on top of that, um, you, you obviously done your, your sports therapy. Uh, what other qualifications or seminars or training have you done since to keep yourself kind of tip top? Because, you know, the, I, I've known you for a couple of years now and I've seen we've changed venue. I've seen your client base increase radically and, you know, I live down in Plymouth where, where you're based and 
it seems like anybody that talks about sports therapy, they just say, Carl Simpson, how did you get that, your name out there? And, and how have you kept your knowledge up to date to, to make that happen? Uh, so, in, I mean, in terms of getting my name out there, social media is brilliant for that. Um, and I think word of mouth, as you know, is just like second to none, really, because it's such a, it's such a sincere advertisement, really. Um, but in terms of uh, like sort of, additional qualifications i'm part of bazarat which is the uh, company that i studied under yeah or the organization that uh, ran my degree and they um they tell us to do x amount of uh cpd courses per year or x amount of hours per year so that kind of forces you to which is always good um but i've done you know like kinesiology taping courses um it's always good to top up your first aid courses um uh uh, other manual therapy courses as well um, and one of the best for me in terms of um, I think uh, self-research and self-motivation is very important yeah. um, and one of the best things that kind of prompts my studying uh, or my further studying after uni is either I'll get a client in and they'll t- talk to me about their injury and I'll be like okay yeah I know that but um, I, I don't know it as well as I should so I'll research that a little bit more or um, just through like seeing people I follow on Instagram and stuff, they'll talk about a subject which I find interesting. I then like to I then like to post about that myself, but obviously I want to know what I'm talking about. So I research that quite a bit. Um, and it all kind of just goes from there really. I think that's a really key point. And it's a number this has come up a number of times on the Fit Pro Sessions podcast um, from from the people we've interviewed and they've said, you know, just scheduling time, perhaps not every day, but certainly a number of times throughout the week whereby you're jumping into your own research and you're exploring or having these inquiry skills and questioning um, things you already know to further your own knowledge and, and how important that is. Yet um, something I see or, or witness an awful lot uh, inside of a parallel community or, or just generally within the fitness community um, is, is people aren't scheduling time to continue their learning. It's almost like I've got to go on a course to learn, but that reality is that's not true. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like um, in terms of scheduling is so important because otherwise your learning can become quite sporadic. I think um, it needs to be when you study, most like much like with anything, it needs to be convenient for you to do it. Um, and it also needs to be not too much of a time commitment so it can be sustainable. Yeah. So if people say like, oh, I need to do like, you know, three hours a night every night, that's not leaving much room for a social life and a whole balance. Um, so I like to try to do maybe half an hour to an hour every every day or every other day yeah. but then to be honest um because i follow a lot of like physios um and sports therapists on like instagram and stuff i find myself constantly just reading their stuff so you're without realizing you're just taking on a lot of knowledge anyway i love it i love it from all your research and and courses you've been on do you have a particular style of or therapy that, that you enjoy most not that obviously you, you're going to prescribe that or deliver that because obviously that'll be, be down to the client's individual needs. But do you have a particular therapeutic approach or manual therapy that you enjoy doing more than others? Yeah, so it's more just the application of principles. So one of the biggest principles I use when dealing with clients is that everyone's body has sort of a, a level of tolerance that it can withstand. And when a client is to exceed this tolerance, that's when they're going to pick up an injury. Or simply put, when people do more than they can handle, they're going to get injured. Um, so what I like to do with them is really just identify what's causing the injury, whether it be like a specific activity or exercise, then we need to look to either eliminate that activity or just reduce the intensity of it temporarily. 
then I can administer my treatments. Uh, sports massage is always a very good one because it helps to obviously uh, relax the muscles, which is obviously important being a musculoskeletal uh, injury specialist. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then I like to, whatever caused them an injury, say if they've been squatting too much and it's given them a bit of knee pain, uh, reintroduce load in the knee in a safe and appropriate manner um, until we can get them back up to squatting where their body's more able to tolerate the load um, of that exercise. And I suppose the, the main route to, to get or to get to that point with a client is just to have a really thorough um, consultation on uh, right from a Yeah, game. Yeah, we always take our time to, even if someone comes in and says, oh, look, I've got like, you know, anterior knee pain. I'm like, okay, yeah, you probably have. I mean, you clearly have, but I'm going to take you through this process. I need to ask about the injury, uh, the origin, what aggravates it, what relieves the pain. Um, talk to them really about their pain and how it affects their life as well. Um, because when we can show people how improving their injury is going to, you know, improve their, um, improve their life and get them back to doing what they love doing, that's when we really motivate people to mm-hmm. actually, you know, do the exercises we do, um, get them to turn up to sessions and stuff like that. Cause the reality is something well, I've, well, I, I've, I've come to you to have, have treatment, um, a couple of times, but from the injuries or niggles that I've picked up personally, I know that when I've had knee pain, the, the likelihood of, the 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 therapy being around the knee is quite low. It's usually something else going on in the body that's causing yeah. the knee pain. Yeah, exactly. And um, most of the time, the one thing we're really in charge of in our bodies, like instantaneously is our muscles. Um, and because humans make a lot of mistakes, that usually means that the cause of most injuries is some form of like muscular tightness. Uh, then now that's not always the case, but you know, significantly, uh, significantly muscles tend to be the cause of most injuries we see. Um, so while you might have say anterior knee pain, a big cause of that is tightness in the quads. So, uh, people will come to me and say, this is where it hurts and I'll work slightly further up the chain. Um, so rather than actually treating the symptoms of the pain, we'll treat the cause of that pain. Super. Uh, so yeah, so like pain, although pain might be in one area, the cause might be somewhere completely different. Just, uh, just to add a bit more clarity, what do you mean by, um, I know what you mean, but just for purposes of the listeners, what do you mean by up the chain or down the chain? Uh, so for example, um, if you look at, uh, someone, if you look at someone standing and they've got knee pain, um, the knee is, the pain is either going to be coming up or down the chain. Um, so up the chain would be into the quads and stuff like that. And further down the chain would be further away from the trunk, maybe in the calves. So seeing the muscles as as a group or a chain of muscles working up the body or down the body. Yeah. So obviously like a a really well-known one is the posterior chain. And this is, again, what we were saying about muscles is they do just work collectively together. Um, although we've got all of our diagrams and stuff, which look brilliant, uh, rarely do muscles actually look like that uh, you yeah, know, completely. <laughs> when, when you see them. Um, it's more they just work as a group, really. So if you've got a weakness in a chain, it can uh, say if you've got a weakness in um, your glutes, uh, that's going to affect hip extension, for example. And then you could have an overworked hamstring uh, because of an issue further up the chain in the glutes. For example, right now, I've got a dodgy left shoulder, um, which is having an impact on my mid traps, which is having an impact on my low back, which is having an exactly. impact down on my right knee. But it, the root cause is up here. For me, you know, whenever I've discussed it with people, I've said, well, why don't you go and get your knee sorted? I'm like, that's yeah. not, the, not the issue, yeah. even though that's where the pain's presented at times. Um, Sounds like you need to come and see me, mate. I, you know what? I'm pretty close. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's chat after. There's, there's yeah. a lot going on at the moment. Um, take on the injury then do you have a particular injury that you if somebody walks into your consultation room and they and they go i've got this pain is there a particular injury or pain that you think yes that's what i want to work with 
Um, or you enjoy working the most? Lower back pain is a big one. Um, uh, I think the statistic is something like, say, nine out of ten people in, in the Western world suffer with lower back pain. And actually, so I've, I've had four people in today already and three people have had lower back pain. Really? Wow. Um, so it's a very common one. I enjoy working on that, especially because because it can affect people um, so much day to day because you don't realize how much you actually need a healthy back um, to support, you know, healthy living. Uh, being able to fix that tends to have a massive impact on people. And that's one I like working on. But to be honest, like I like working on that because of the impact it has on people. But then any injury is good because it, you know, keeps my day fresh and it keeps me wanting to revise and uh, keep researching to stay on top of my game. Completely. With um, do you have a particular sporting injury? I know you're you're big on kind of boxing and MMA and the, the fighting scene. Do you do you like working with the injuries that come out of that as a as a sport discipline, or is there a particular sport that you enjoy working with as well? Um, to be honest, any sport. Um, I always like dealing with um like combat sport athletes like boxers and mma fighters just because then we can talk about like the la- the fight i was on on the weekend or ufc or something um but i like a lot of the sports that are you know maybe not in the forefront um so i've done a lot of work with the plymouth roller derby girls or plymouth city roller derby i've, I've probably uh, mispronounced the name of that one club, of them. but um <laughs> yeah one of those um but that's always really good because it it just uh it just gets you knowing about new sports really um, one sport that I see a lot of is a lot of CrossFitters. Um, and I know CrossFit can get a bit of a bad rep, but I think it's a it's a great sport. Um, CrossFit's kind of like the mixed martial arts of fitness because it just encompasses everything together. Um, and it's you know I see the difference it makes for people. Um, they kind of they change their lives. They get a lot more healthy. Uh, and then I'm very motivated to like get them back to that because you know you want them to you want them to continue the progress they've been making before they got injured. I think you're right. You know, CrossFit does get a lot of stick um, across the fitness industry. Um, I think you're either in the CrossFit camp or you're completely against yeah. it. Um, I'm not against it by any means. I, I love it. You know, I've, I've done it. I've tried it. Um, got great results. Um, but also I do recognize that it, if not, you know, performed, executed correctly, it can dish out uh, a whole host of, of niggles and injuries. But that's the same with any sport, right? Exactly. Yeah. I feel like like you said, that's the same with anything. If you do something too much, you're going to get um, ill effects of it. Uh, however, you can see how CrossFit, where it's a very rep-based sport, it can almost invite overtraining. Uh, but again, it's just all down to the individual. And hopefully the coach um, administering the sessions is very aware of that. And I know a lot of the people I work with, so I do, I do a lot of work with members of CrossFit Plymouth. Yeah. And a lot of the coaches there are very on it with the technique and making sure people don't do more than they should. Um, and that's very encouraging to see. Because one of the things we teach on the, on the level three PT and then the level four low back pain, um, especially is this, this concept of, of overuse, misuse and underuse. Yeah. So if I'm going to constantly, um, I don't know, let's say the frequency, I go into a CrossFit gym, let's say five, six times a week, and I'm performing loads of squats, loads of cleans, loads of jerks, loads of pull-ups, and I'm only staying inside one plane of movement, I'm just going to overuse the muscles of the joints in one particular way. Of course, you're going to pick up niggles. So it's understanding, and again, going back to the importance of understanding anatomy and physiology and saying, right, I need to move the body in all three planes and understand frequency of dishing out these exercises to not overuse a particular area. Exactly, yeah. I think um, 
I think it was Arnie that said it in uh, Pump and Iron, like you need to keep the muscle what guessing. What a film. What a film. Yeah, what a film. great film. <laughs> it's <laughs> on book, Netflix. Like, Go and check it out if you've not seen it. As well, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a really good one. Um, but yeah, you need to just keep the muscles guessing and, you know, variety is the spice of life and all that. So if you're just doing the same thing over and over and over, your body's not going to, after a while, your body's not going to um, get the stimulus needed to adapt. So you're not going to be getting stronger anyway. Um, you might just be staying and plateauing at the same level. So that's why... Um, incrementing your training uh with you know different reps different um different reps different range of motion different intensity or just changing up the exercises completely just to work the muscles in a different way super you've you've we've kind of um demiffed this this concept that, that crossfit is bad which i kind of like yeah <laughs> um not that, so is there any other is there any other myths that you can think of you think actually uh, the general consensus is people believe this about a particular injury or a particular sport or a way of working the body. And from your experience, you go, it's just, that's just bullshit. That's BS. Oh, so many, mate. Um, <laughs> so I think um, surgery is relied upon a lot more than it should be. Um, and don't get me wrong, surgical interventions can do stuff that I can't do as a sports therapist. And uh, they are very they're very um, beneficial, but only when they actually needed to be. Uh, so if we look at like, say slip discs, for example, mm-hmm. um, well, I mean that even in itself is a, is an incorrect term because discs don't actually slip when people think that. Where, when people tell think me where they, they slip to Carl. Where, where, where well, are they I mean, slipping to? Unless you've got a, unless you've got a severe issue, your discs aren't going to slip. Your spine is a lot more robust than people think it is. Um, and it's got so much there keeping it together in terms of ligaments and tendons that, you know, to slip your disc, to actually slip your disc, you're going to have to do something pretty significant. Um, what more happens is uh, your disc just gets herniated, yeah. which is obviously still a serious thing, and it's going to cause you quite a bit of pain. But everyone, uh, well, I mean, a lot of people think that you should get surgery straight away, where new research is coming out now saying two out of three um, slipped discs or herniated discs um, don't need to become operated on, and they can fix, they can be fixed with non-invasive treatments um, you know, such as physical therapy, which is a big deal, right? Because somebody could be um, suffering with, you know, chronic back pain, acute back pain, waiting for, um, a, a, you know, a surgery date to come through, which could take weeks, if not months before they actually get the, the surgery and get full recovery. But in reality, they could come down to see somebody like yourself and that pain could be alleviated not necessarily immediately, but certainly they could be lessened, but that pain could be lessened, right? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like you said, when they're on this, these large waiting lists, um, which is understandable why there is a waiting list, but while they're on these waiting lists, they're not doing any corrective exercise. They're not trying to strengthen themselves because regardless of whether you have surgery or not, you're going to need to strengthen, um, your, say for um, herniated disc, you're going to need to strengthen the muscles around your lower back to support it better. Um, so the spine has more support. So you may as well start a corrective exercise program sooner because you, even with the, the surgery, you're still going to have to do it. <laughs> exactly. Um, and like we say, going back to the principles we use, the stronger you are, um, strictly speaking, the less likely you are to pick up an injury because mm-hmm. the more robust your body's going to be. And it, it's kind of like you, you just need to, if you want to be healthy, you need to work for it, don't you? Completely. Why, why do you think people do sit inside pain for so long before they come and see somebody like yourself or or they're, they're waiting on a on a on a nhs waiting list for an operation why do, why do they think, tolerate that pain why do they suffer 
waste? I think it's because they think they have to. It's kind of like, um, it's almost like a lack of awareness of, um, and that's through no fault of their own. It's just because it's not advertised enough, maybe. Um, people just think that, you know, you get a pain, you go see your doctor, but, do, you know, nine times out of 10, you go to see a GP, they're going to refer you to someone else anyway. And so if you can do that self-referral, um, so if you can do that referral yourself, uh, you're going to, one, cut out the middleman, and two, really just get educated on um, pain. And that's another thing we love to do with our clients. Obviously, it's all very well and good. We fix people, but we kind of, we almost want to get people to the point where they don't need to use us in, in case it's an emergency, where we want to uh, get people to a point where they know what's going to go wrong. They, you know, don't overdo it and they know how to fix themselves, essentially. Something that I've personally kind of worked on, and as, as you know, you know, we've discussed, you know, my training with, with inside Plymouth, the Plymouth community and the 5am club. One of my main goals was to make my clients redundant of me. Um, mm. You know, educate the client, give them all the, the tools, the skills, the strategies, the, the principles behind this is how you get yourself in shape, whatever their goal is. And there, there comes a point where you go, you don't need me anymore. Exactly. And I think that... Um, is there, you know, that's something I really want to promote inside the, the fit pro sessions and the parallel coaching community. What's your, what's your thoughts on that boss? Yeah, massively. I mean, firstly, shout out to Neil DeMuth who did the 5am clubs with you because I see him in the gym that I go to now and he, he talks very highly of the 5am club and a lot of the stuff he does now is just a continuation of what you taught him. Um, and I feel like people are almost scared to lose clients, but I try and I try to use like the driving instructor um, formula um, where you know, when driving instructors do their job properly, they don't have a client anymore. Completely. So do you reckon people, uh, trainers, sports therapists, uh, coaches, personal trainers, yoga instructors, Pilates, whatever their, their coaching you know, specialism is, do you reckon they don't go out to truly impact the client because they're fearful of losing the client? Or what? Um, it's, it's a weird one. Like, I feel like a, certainly there will catch be too there, right? It, it definitely is. I mean, certainly there are people that will do that. Um, I thankfully don't know too many, um, but you, obviously you hear stories and stuff. I feel like it's, it, yeah, it's sometimes like client retention is something that people worry about, but if you do your job as well as possible, you're going to get that client retention. And then once they're, once the client's fixed, they're going to recommend people to you anyway, because people are always going to be in pain um, in your industry as well. People are always going to want to get fit and healthier and stronger. So you're always going to have that clientele that it's not like you're going to run out of people in the world so, so yeah completely so provide yeah but there's always going to be unfit people there's always going to be people in in pain um, exactly certainly for, for low back pain or injuries sport related injuries or everyday injuries that happen in and around the house and, and workplace so they're always going to become flooding in i suppose for the key part here is for me as a fitness professional is to do the best most outstanding job i possibly can so that they get the, the end result for yourself your clients go away pain-free and go you know wow that was an amazing experience let me go and tell the whole wide world about you yeah, exactly and that's the thing like with our jobs um say on a long day i'll see like i'll be in for 13 hours but that's 13 people i've impacted and that's 13 like you know people who have are grateful for my time um and for me i don't i wouldn't really want to do my job if i wasn't trying to fix people as soon as possible because for one it's always good for the ego when you <laughs> fix people um but two you know it just that's what that's what i'm in the job for to you know uh as well as being able to afford money to eat uh it's always um <laughs> just helping people out and you know improving their quality of life because it's a very i didn't really think about it when i started the degree obviously but um 
when you start to realize what an impact you can make, it becomes almost and, and, becomes and how almost hungry you are and how much you want to eat on a day to day basis. <laughs> exactly, mate. Yeah, I eat a lot as well, so I'm always motivated to work. Superb. With um, so you've been in you've been in business uh, down in Plymouth for a, a good few years, and I was reading online the other day that eighty percent of those people that start out in coaching after eighteen months are no longer doing what they set out to do which is a crazy stat, you know, so you're four and a bit years in. So, you know, I want to tip the hat right there and say, well done because you've, you've got past that, that benchmark. And what's, what do you see as the common reason for, I'm going to say, you know, why are people failing? Why are coaches, uh, you know, hanging in the towel and, and, and hanging up their boots after 18 months? What's the cause of that? Do you reckon? Um, I suppose it's like with anything multifactorial, one thing might be they just don't enjoy it. It's maybe not what they thought it would be. That's um, a real good point. Yeah. Sometimes it might just be, um, it might just be that it's a lot harder than they thought it would be as well. Cause you, you tend to see certain coaches or certain sports therapists and they're doing really well, but you don't see obviously the, the hours they put in behind the scenes um, of how hard they're having to work to keep that going. Uh, and I suppose another thing there. is just, so yeah. just, I think the, the key part there would be uh, some, something we see, excuse me, on uh, in parallel and learners that come through from other providers um, as a generalization. The, 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 they've had a wicked transformation in their own body. They've got super fit, super healthy and gone, I want to do this. I want to impact loads of people and do, you know, become a personal trainer uh, or perhaps for, for, for your clients, they've had a, been in so much pain. And then all of a sudden they're like, I'm pain free. This is wicked. Um, I want to become a sports therapist. But it's not until you actually get into the job role itself and you realize this is nothing like what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. And I think, um, especially with your job, uh, people who have such a good, um, like say, body transformation, sometimes they can't always get that for other people. They might just be like, you know, genetically gifted where they can do it really well. Um, or sometimes it's just because you're good at something or just because you enjoy the experience of something doesn't always mean you can coach it or teach it or um, deliver that service to someone else that well. Yeah. Any other, any other reasons? I, I jumped in. Apologies. You were, you were just... No, um, you got in my train of thought, mate. Um, I, to be honest, I do just think it's because, you know, people want to do stuff they enjoy and it's probably not what they expected it to be. So that's why they're not going to enjoy it as much anymore. So that's why they tend to drop out of it a little bit. Cool. Um, let's let's jump forwards then with with uh, where you are now. You've got clients. You've just mentioned you've had four clients in already today. Sometimes you can do like thirteen hour days, um, and we've already mentioned you have like this consultation test or screening at the beginning. Tell us a bit more about the journey of a, of a client and the specifics of, of of those sessions, if that's possible. Yeah. So the start of the journey is never nice because they're in pain. Um, yeah. uh, Does this hurt? Does this hurt? Prod? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so what we like to do is we get people in uh, and obviously I think first and foremost, you want to just connect to them on, you know, a semi-personal level where you can get on with them. Um, then we want to, uh, you know, get to grips with what their injury actually is and really just educate them on why they're experiencing pain. Um, what's, you know, what's causing their injury and why they're in the condition they're in. From there, we like to outline a plan. And so the length, the consultation is usually quite lengthy. However, if I can just do a little bit of like physical treatment on the first session and just show them that effect, because obviously it's good to tell them what's wrong and how we're going to do it. But if you can then just prove to them, you know, by doing X, Y, and Z, you're going to get that much better. It really just puts them um, 
leaving that first session in a positive state of mind. It's like a quick and, win, isn't it? But yeah, basically. Um, and it's once you can get people on side and actually, you know, get their own self-efficacy and believing that they can um, improve themselves, that's when you, you're on, you know, you're fighting a, a winning battle. I think that's key, isn't it? For not to take take those skills, not just from say a sports therapy perspective, but something we teach in, inside the PT course as well is, you know, that, that first screening session, first consultation is about building up a relationship, building up the, the rapport with the, with the client, show them that you're, you're talking, you're listening uh, to mm. each other. You're, you're building up this picture and then performing a number of tests to, you know, find out where we're moving forwards. What's the goal, what are we heading towards? And then you can, you know, then jump into some kind of action, but that action on the first session or first one or two sessions needs to show them or instill an element of belief or self-efficacy that what they're heading towards can be done. Exactly. And those tests are crucial as well, because when people tend to live with pain, because it's such a subjective feeling and their, their improvements might be very gradual, they're just used to the pain they're in. And whereas they, they might come in with a 10 out of 10 pain and it drops down to a five, if that's happened gradually enough, they might still think their pain hasn't changed. And that's why if you write down um, some objective markers, such as, you know, uh, the strength, the weight they're able to carry or the range of motion they have or the you know function of movement they have, if you can then write that down and show them the improvement over time, that's going to obviously make them feel better and, you know, let them know that they are actually making improvements. Whereas for subjective measure of how they feel on a, a Likert scale of one to 10, it's always going to be perceived on based on how they feel that day. Um, exactly. How much food they've had, how they feel, how much sleep they've had, how much, whether they're hydrated. Whereas if you've got that objective measure, you can categorically say this joint now moves X number of degrees more. And exactly. It's inarguable. There's no gray area now, is there? Exactly. And pain is such, you know, it's, it's a topic that I love and it's such a, um, multifactorial um process that goes on or, or phenomenon that people's um a person's re- reporting of their own pain can be sometimes quite unreliable uh in terms of a, a marker to look at that's why those objective markers that i can see myself are very good to use because then it just reaffirms to the client that they're actually getting better why 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 would you say they're unreliable what, what expand on that one well just like we say like because they are they're in that you know they're not they can't take themselves out of their situation sometimes they're in it um and pain can be influenced by not just the physical state of their body but the stress they're in that day how much it's affecting their life um you know their own belief about how their their pain is going to affect their um quality of life going forward so if someone's got quite a negative mindset their pain is always going to be a lot higher than it probably should be and if you live with that for uh, any length of time really you're going to become numb to that pain so um it could be actually presenting a physical pain of say an eight or nine out of ten but they're reporting something different maybe more or less purely based on they've become numb to it and they they that's become an everyday part of their life living in pain yeah, exactly. is, is now reality so exactly so on the flip side of that you don't want them to be like oh yeah it's only like a four out of ten today and you think, okay, cool, we're going to get you doing this, 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 and this. Because um, so just based off that, it would be unreliable. Yeah, exactly. Then I would, uh, you know, then I'd be injuring them further, which is kind of the opposite of what I want to do. Is there any, obviously, there's, um, you don't want to, we don't, a personal trainer or fitness professional doesn't want to cross into the boundaries of what you do and vice versa. But is there any particular test that you think would be relevant for a fitness professional to do um, to help screen a client when looking at, say, um, just understanding posture, tight and weak muscles, and understanding how somebody moves. 
Um, so in terms of the tests, to be honest, um, one of the first tests you'll do is just seeing how someone carries themselves. But in terms of like personal training, it's just whether the person um, that they are, that such as yourself would be training, whether this individual can do the exercise you want them to do mm -hmm. um, correctly, essentially. And if they can't do it correctly, then you'd want to see, right, if, say if they can't squat properly, you'd want to look at, right, is their ankle moving as much as it should be? Is Have they got a hip impingement or something like that? Um, but yeah, I would just, the main test I would just use is, can they do the exercise I want them to do uh, efficiently and safely, more importantly? Yeah, one of, one of the things we teach is a, is a squat assessment, um, like an unconscious squat assessment so that the client doesn't know what you're looking for. And then again, yeah. you know, just working up the body from the ankles, comparing left and right, coming up to the knees, what impact, what can we see from the ankles that's affecting the knee, that's affecting the hip, and then working our way up the joints of the body to think, you know, what, how am I carrying myself posturally? Yeah, and so that's another nice thing um, that I, I kind of like to do tests on my clients without them realising. So say, for example, if someone can't walk upstairs, we've got an elevator in our offices. Um, but most of the time, if people can, I'll get them to walk up the stairs. And if, say, on the first session or two, they're kind of limping a little bit up it, then on the third or fourth, they're walking up fine. Once they've walked up the stairs, I'll be like, oh, look, you've just walked up the stairs fine. And then like, oh, my God, yeah, I have improved quite a lot. Or like hopping on the, the massage table, um, of, you know, first time they do it a little bit gingerly. Then if the second session they just hop on, I'll be like, oh, that was a lot easier than last week, wasn't it? And then that, you know, that um, just reinforces the benefit that the treatment and the stuff they're doing at home is having on them as well. Completely. And if, because if you turned around and said, I'm now going to watch you walk up the stairs or I'm yeah. now going to watch you get on the, on the, the massage couch, they're going to make a conscious effort to either stay in pain or move in a in a conscious way that that tells you they're not in pain it's like the observer effect isn't it as soon as you as soon as someone knows you're watching them their their actions are going to change that's why even when i say i'm looking at someone's posture um i'll just try to be like okay i just want to look at the movement of your shoulder and when they're standing there i'll look at i'll just quickly have a look at how they're holding themselves first and then look at the movement of their their shoulder for example or like we said earlier as soon as they walk in you can kind of just get a you know a quick a idea of what's actually yeah. wrong with them and how, are they carrying themselves wrong one of the kind of common questions that we get asked a lot on uh, messenger and, and and facebook from personal trainers and fitness pros all around is is questions around lordosis kyphosis and scoliosis which what's what's your um thoughts or opinions uh, around those conditions um so a lot of so we've with Sorry, just, just, in general. just to jump back in, just to add some, I'll add some context on that. So, so, so a, a classic question would be my client's got lordosis. Yeah. And I, my initial like re, re, response is, have they been diagnosed with that? Or is yeah. that you diagnosing them? Or is that something you're yeah. seeing? <laughs> what's first, going on? Like, firstly, you need to look at what's actually causing that. Is it congenital and is it something they're born with? Um, or is it something where, you know, you've got a tightness in the muscle, which is, um, say for example with lordosis is it anteriorly rotating their pelvis which is then causing them to present with that where they haven't actually got it fixed it's just something that is temporarily there yeah. um then also what can you do to obviously resolve it but what i would say with posture in general is there is no ideal posture um everyone thinks of the perfect posture shoulders back and down chest up and etc but if you hold that position, if you hold that position for eight hours a day, you're going to get injured anyway, or you're going to feel pain from it anyway. So the perfect posture is like a moving posture. So you're telling me I, I don't want to be sitting here in my 
you know, anatomical position I see in the manuals. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it's comfortable to do and it's not causing you any pain, then yeah, go for it. I'd rather slouch, to be honest. It's a bit more comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'll, I'll, I'll book in an appointment next week to get me get, to get me out of that position. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, mate. This is the Fit Pro Sessions podcast with Parallel Coaching. So we just mentioned about kyphosis and 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 a, and a, a fitness professional's understanding of that. Um, another question we get asked an awful lot is around the barriers that they face as a fitness professional when a client walks in. Um, Let's say, for example, a client walks into you, they're presenting a lot of pain in their low back um, and they've just got loads of reasons or justifications about why, why they're in that position and they can't go and do the exercises, they can't, um, they can't attend the gym or, or whatever you've prescribed. How do you overcome those barriers that, that clients present to you? Well, what I would say is um, firstly to break it down. So for some people going to the gym is like, that's almost like an end goal and a big, quite a big task so just break it down and say right um so instead of you going to the gym to train uh i would just get you to do certain very light exercises at home and once they do that it once they've mastered an exercise at home they're going to be comfortable they're going to be more comfortable to go into the gym to do that exercise um, and just really build from there so any large task that they have that they're kind of blowing up in their own mind um to be bigger than it is really just break it down into sort of digestible steps which comes back to, you know, you mentioned earlier about self-efficacy, you know, someone's belief of whether or not they can mm. or can't do it. So if somebody believes, you know, I, I can't get to the gym this week or I, I believe I can't do that part of my program because of X or because of whatever, um, it's breaking it right back down, giving them something really simple, tangible, easy to do, but they can believe that they can do and fit that time in. Well, of course, yeah. So like self-efficacy, self-efficacy is so important, particularly in pain, because the brain pain is created in the brain obviously we have physical contributing factors to that as well but pain occurs when the brain perceives a threat to the body and this threat can also be fed into when people don't think that they're going to get better they don't believe that they can um you know make themselves better so by giving them that self-efficacy you are literally going to reduce pain i've had sessions where i've had initial um, consultations where i've not actually physically treated anyone um but just through talking through their experience and just giving giving them someone to listen to um, and talking to them about how we're going to fix them in the future uh, going forward, that has then, without me having to, you know, actually put a physical intervention into place, they've walked out in less pain than they had when they came in because they're more confident and more, um, and their self-efficacy is higher than when they, when they came in. I was going to say, how much of your, you know, your job role as a sports therapist is mindset and behavioral change as opposed to physically getting somebody on the couch and manipulating a, a muscle? um like the mindset is just crucial if someone doesn't believe in what you're doing um and if someone doesn't isn't on board with you your treatment will still work but it just makes it so much easier when they actually believe what you're doing is going to help them um so i can't really give you an exact uh percentage um most of the time we do treat people with you know like sports massage taping and what have you um but a lot of the time it's just about making sure that i'm doing my job in here but then going, um, letting them leave with the motivation uh, that they're, and the sort of encouragement that they're going to go away and do the corrective exercises. They're going to make the changes to their routines um, and do everything that they can to improve their, um, their condition. Otherwise, they come back in in a week's time or two weeks time or next month and they're no further down the road. And that's a, a, you know, a key point that we bark on about to, on our PT courses um, you might only see your client once a week, but what do they do for the other 167 hours? 
Exactly. And I always forget how many hours there are in a week. So I'm glad you said it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So I, I, I would say to people the same thing, like, look, even if you see me once a week, I see you for an hour a week, you've got 167 hours per week where I'm not seeing you. Um, it's not all down to me. You need to be doing your stuff. I'm kind of like, I'm like a coach in a way I'm guiding people through their recovery. Yeah. Um, and yeah, once, and once you get that point through to people, they, you know, they feel a lot better about what they're doing and they, it puts the responsibility back into their hands. And that's why that session or that one hour that you do have with a client, it's important that there's a, a serious amount or weighted amount of communication there so that they value um, that this is possible, that they can go away and do this. So quite, quite a bit of that is, is talking, isn't it? To be fair, it's not actually doing. It's, it's, it's allowing them to go away with the skills, the, the tools, the strategies to go and do it, in, do the work we have 167 hours of a week. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's about first it's showing them that as a as a coach or a sports therapist, you actually want them to get better. But it's it's just about educating them on um, and filling in the gaps of their knowledge about what's what's causing them pain and what they can do to fix it. Very smart. Um, let's jump into another learner question. Um, Sarah says, "My clients um, typically turn up with plantar fasciitis. Uh, okay. What what can I do or can't I do with this person?" So I know rough a little bit about Sarah. She comes from a running community. Yeah. Um, so what I would say is you're going to need to um, take away whatever's causing aggravation to that area. So depending on the severity of it, if they're doing single leg work and that's causing a lot of pain, try doing bilateral work. So instead of pistol squatting, try squatting. Um, I would certainly take away running for the time being uh, and to supplement the cardio work do something low impact such as running um swimming swimming's always a great one to do not running sorry uh yeah. cycling um <laughs> do something like, in. yeah it's something yeah. like that um swimming's always a great one because it's so low impact as well you could try cycling but obviously that is putting a bit of a pressure on the plantar fascia um and then basically giving them strength and exercises for the foot because you can actually strengthen the bottom of the foot up give them um strength and exercises for that so that they don't need to run with supports or um orthotics or anything because their foot should be the you know enough support for itself completely and also just making sure that we understand why the client is is running in the first place are they running for a particular goal maybe they want to get a pb in the local 10k or they're going on to do a marathon they got london next april or, or whatever but so many runners turn up for a social element mm, and, exactly you know, if they're turning up to a running club with plantar fasciitis and you turn around and you say, right, you're going to go to the swimming pool now, or you're going to go on yeah. a trainer. Suddenly you've taken away the very thing that they, they're going there for. So it's understanding how to adapt inside their goal. If, if that makes sense. Yeah, if I, exactly. If I, if I take, if I take running away from them and put them in a gym on a cross trainer, they're, they're not going to attend because their goal was not about fitness. Their goal was about, having a chin wag <laughs> exactly and so this is the thing like as much as i can say right um don't run do this this and this and do this to work your cardio uh like you said they like it for the social aspect as well a lot of people do so i would say okay maybe if you're going to go to the gym invite your friend along or maybe go to the gym and then reward yourself by having a coffee with your friends or something like that so you're not so you're still incorporating that um social aspect to it as well i suppose that comes back down to you as for coach isn't it of you know, going, well, you know, I, I want you to get your goal. I want you for, for you. I want you to be pain free, but I, I'm not necessarily here to tell you what you want to hear. I'm not here to exactly. kind of be your best mate. I'm here to guide you to uh, the end outcome. 
yeah, that's the thing I say to a lot of clients. Some of them are going to love me because I'm helping them out, but some of them are going to hate me because I'm taking away what they enjoy to do. Um, but then again, I say to them, you know, I'm taking it away temporarily. Um, we're still going to, I never want people to rest fully. Um, we want them to be always doing something, always moving forward. Uh, but yeah, sometimes you know, kind of need to put your foot down and be like, no, I don't want you doing this. If you do, you're going to keep getting injured. Because the reality is once they're pain-free or once they're uh, heading towards, you know, for this person, plantar fasciitis has calmed down, they can return back to their running and run further, faster and be fitter and stronger. And, and, exactly. and, and not get home after a session thinking, shit, my feet really hurt. I shouldn't have done that and regret it. Yeah. And you need to have that conversation with someone and just be like, look, isn't it worth like taking maybe two to three weeks out now and then being able to run for the rest of the year healthy rather than running for the rest of the year with pain? That's a simple um, combination for me, to be honest. I know what I'd choose. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I've got a couple more questions. I know you're, we're, we're tight on time, so you've got a, a client coming in very shortly. Um, yeah, no one, problem, more question, one more learner question and then two more from myself. So James asks, uh, why do you think, and we've kind of, I think we've kind of answered this already, but why do you think anatomy and physiology is important for a coach or a fitness professional? Purely, well, I'd say um, the mechanic needs to know everything about the car and as someone uh, trying to fix or strengthen the body, you need to know all the working parts that you're dealing with. Um, you need to know what exercise or you know whatever whatever intervention you're giving to someone you need to know why you're doing that and what benefit you're trying to get out of it and having an understanding of the um physiology and anatomy of the body is just crucial in knowing that we used um in the, one of our first revision podcasts uh, last week we used the analogy of uh, of a mechanic and the car you know, and, yeah. you know the, the anatomy is obviously the study of of parts of the body whereas the physiology is a function of those parts and we said you know would you give your car to a mechanic that a didn't know anything about the parts of a car and didn't know how to put them all together so they worked you'd be like yeah no of course i wouldn't why would i do that that's stupid um, exactly and that really summarizes you know why is a and p important so it's really cool that you used the same analogy as we did yeah exactly the only thing is with cars you can put new parts on and you can't for the body so <laughs> you we need to do the best of what we've got exactly you know you can get a new knee a new you know new hip but that's not the route you really want to go down <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah exactly so it's up to us to you know plan and deliver um a safe and effective approach towards a goal yeah of course yeah cool so i've got two final questions uh boss um based on life today all your experiences um you've 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 been involved in sports yourself inside um fighting sports uh, and whatnot um, you've experienced a ton of different sports and injuries and different reasons why people come to you in pain and you've been a you know sports therapy for many years what three things or tips of advice would you give someone wanting to start out as a coach or a therapist or a as a personal trainer three tips uh the first one would be you gotta like people and get on with people well um second you want to well you need to be able to work hard um but thirdly and most importantly i think you need to you need to want to help people and um really get just satisfaction out of seeing other people achieve their goals because that's one of the best things about my job just the difference it actually makes to people's quality of life very smart so i love that last bit just just that 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 that, that first for i for i want to go on out and help people as best i can Hmm. And it sounds a little bit cheesy and whatever, but it's a great feeling. Um, 
and you know being able to help people there's nothing better than that really is there cool man very smart very smart so final question um and i want to acknowledge your, your time today your energy your effort your passion for um helping people for you know getting people pain-free for um going into your studies and inquiry skills you know further so you can become a master of of your game uh, and approach to coaching um what is your definition of an outstanding coach so an outstanding coach is again like someone who you know wants to help people someone who can motivate and connect with someone but um especially i find a good coach is someone who can convey their message using as little communication as possible whether that just be a few words a look something like that very smart so we we use this analogy i've said it a couple of times in in the podcast previously about you know if i can break down a complex topic and um convey that using crayola crayons and and as if i'm going to talk <laughs> to a five-year-old then then my job is done <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and if you can and if then people can go away and they know um the message you've tried to convey to them and i think you've done your job very cool very smart is there anything else you want to add carl before we uh log off today anything i should have asked but haven't done uh not really mate i think you've done a pretty bang up job um i would just say any coach that wants to get into it use parallel coaching uh, <laughs> thank you very much like there. um i know mate just thank you very much for your time uh thank you for having me on as well i really really enjoyed it nice superb thank you for uh for coming on and then uh, the, the, the only thing is we haven't got many um ron burgundy quotes in throughout <laughs> yeah i should true, have yeah. had i should have had a crib sheet along the side but um we'll have to do another one mate there we go so stay classy then uh carl simpson stay classy stay classy san diego <laughs> cheers, <laughs> see bro. you later boss cheers bud cool. cheers hi i'm neil bergman and i'm Haley bergman over the last 10 years we've helped thousands of fitness professionals to get qualified learn with simplicity and coach clients with confidence we're the first to say that learning and being a fit pro doesn't have to be hard work and that with the right structure, support and resources, you can become a confident and knowledgeable fitness professional that is dedicated to more. So how do you learn, qualify and kickstart as a fit pro? This is the Fit Pro Sessions podcast with Parallel Coaching.